Welcome to the Paranormal Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Thanks for stopping by. This is the place to explore mysteries, investigate the otherworldly, and share stories of the inexplicable and the strange. You see, within the realm of our daily, ordinary lives, there is a paranormal factor always waiting to reveal itself. So let's begin exploring together the truly weird. Welcome back, listeners, and thanks for stopping by. I know you're going to really enjoy this episode. By now, you know how much we love covering the truly weird in the world around us. Alien abductions, strange creatures, terrifying entities, monsters, and the supernatural. Yep, we love them all. In this episode, however, we're going to really ramp up the weirdometer some more and dig into one of the strangest legends in all of UFO lore. This is the bizarre tale of a time in 1970s Florida when U.S. President Richard Nixon took his good friend and golfing buddy, actor and celebrity Jackie Gleason, to see alien bodies at Homestead Air Force Base. That's right. Apparently golfing by day, touring of dead extraterrestrial bodies by night. Jackie Gleason was known as the Great One for his immense comic genius and presence in radio, film, and television. He had hit films, even being nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and a hit variety TV show that ran for years. He was also a talented and passionate golfer and pool billiards player. Among his many friends were numerous U.S. presidents, including one Richard Milhouse Nixon. Nixon, the 37th President of the United States, is perhaps best known for his unceremonious fall from power, resigning the presidency when he was faced with certain impeachment in 1974. His presidency began to unravel in 1973. Coincidentally, that's the same year in which our story occurs. You can almost hear the conspiracy wheels turning, can't you? Psst. Did you hear Nixon showed Jackie Gleason dead aliens? And now he's going to be under subpoena. Yeah, maybe Nixon's fall was due to his indiscretion involving the unauthorized showing of bodies of dead extraterrestrials to a friend. Things like that must be tough to bounce back from. But there are some tricky waters to navigate in this tale. There is the authenticity of the main witness... Gleason's former wife. Was she truthful or just being opportunistic? There is the syncing up of actual historical timelines of who was where and when. And of course, there is the mind-blowing obstacle to hurdle of the possibility of dead extraterrestrials being housed on the United States military installation a stone's throw from Miami Beach, Florida. However, If Richard Nixon did show Gleason the bodies of alien beings, well, he wouldn't be the first U.S. president rumored to have been involved with aliens and UFOs. Before we get into the story of how President Richard Nixon supposedly showed an alien body to entertainer Jackie Gleason in 1973, let's take a look at both the long history of U.S. presidents who have been involved with UFOs and on Mr. Gleason's fascination with the same. 
Well, it should come as no surprise that there are examples of actual events and even more speculative incidents involving U.S. presidents. After all, it was the first country to invent atomic and nuclear weapons, has had the greatest technological achievements, and invests heavily in research and development of futuristic science. Couple that with the insider knowledge of the most powerful position on the planet, and you have a recipe for alien conspiratory theories involving presidents and what they may know regarding UFOs and aliens. We start with President Harry Truman. Majestic 12, also known as MJ-12 for short, is a supposed organization that appears in UFO conspiracy theories. Certainly the most contentious issue in the over 74-year history of UFOlogy. The MJ-12 saga begins with the 1947 alleged crash and recovery of an alien spacecraft outside Roswell, New Mexico. Soon after, President Harry Truman instructed Secretary of Defense James Forrestal to set up Operation Majestic 12, a blue-ribbon top-secret panel headed by Van Ever Bush, a leading Manhattan Project figure, and creator of the Mimics machine, a forerunner of the modern-day computer. The organization is claimed to be an alleged secret committee of scientists, military leaders, and government officials, formed in 1947 by an executive order by U.S. President Harry S. Truman to facilitate recovery and investigation of alien spacecraft. The last year of Harry Truman's presidency was a very difficult one, Despite his miraculous victory in 1948, he knew that he was probably not going to pull off that feat in the next election. By July of 1952, Truman had opted not to run for president again. His approval ratings were at almost their lowest point. There was a rapid increase of UFO sightings during Truman's presidency. On top of all of his other problems, the last thing Truman needed was to have UFOs buzzing the Capitol during July of 1952. Just five years earlier at a press conference held on July 10, 1947, Truman had scoffed at the idea of flying saucers. He had this exchange with a reporter. Mr. President, have you seen any flying saucers? Truman's response, only in the newspapers. Mr. President, any explanations of them from over here? Truman's answer, only the explanations I have seen in the newspapers. Did you ever hear of the moon hoax? However, it was during the final days of Truman's term that the nation's capital was the site of a well-documented incident involving unidentified flying objects, and the number of sightings over the United States in July of 1952 was said to have alarmed Truman and his administration. President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was president from 1953 to 1961, is known to have had a strong belief in life on other planets. The former five-star general in the United States Army, who commanded the Allied forces in Europe during the Second World War, was also keen on pushing the U.S. space program. Now, legend has it, and fringe researchers contend, the MJ-12 committee eventually brokered a sit-down between space aliens and President Eisenhower, during which an agreement was reached to enable alien studies of human biology via abductions and animal mutilations in exchange for use of extraterrestrial black technology that would lead to eventual developments like the B-2 stealth bomber. The legend goes 
that on February the 20th, 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower interrupted his vacation in Palm Springs, California, to make a secret nocturnal trip to a nearby Air Force base to meet two extraterrestrial aliens. Or maybe not. Eisenhower would state that he just went to the dentist. There's some dispute about this since there were no records of his dentist seeing him during that time frame. The Eisenhower met with aliens theory is advanced by Michael Sala, a former American University professor who now runs the Peace Ambassador Program at AU's Center for Global Peace. The Eisenhower went to the dentist theory is advanced by folks at the Dwight D. Eisenhower Library in Abilene, Kansas, and by James M. Mixon, a dentist, professor of dentistry, and, strangely, historian of presidential dental work. Some facts here are beyond dispute. Eisenhower was on a golf vacation in Palm Springs on February 20, 1954. After dinner that night, he made an unscheduled departure from the Smoking Tree Ranch, where he was staying. The next morning, he attended a church service in Los Angeles. Also that morning, his spokesman announced to the press that Eisenhower had visited a dentist the previous night because he'd chipped a tooth while eating a chicken wing at dinner. Sala, who has a Ph.D. in government from the University of Queensland in his native Australia, doesn't believe it. He believes the dentist trip is just a cover story. He believes Eisenhower went to Edwards Air Force Base where he met with two ETs with white hair, pale blue eyes, and colorless lips. These aliens nicknamed Nordics in UFO circles because they resemble Scandinavian humans traveled to Edwards from another solar system in a flying saucer, and Sala says they spoke to Eisenhower. There was telepathic communication, says Sala. It's as though you're hearing a person, but they're not speaking. The Nordics offered to share their superior technology and their spiritual wisdom with Eisenhower if he would agree to eliminate America's nuclear weapons. They were afraid we might blow up some of our nuclear technology, Sala says. And apparently that does something to time and space, and it impacts extraterrestrial races on other planets. Eisenhower declined the ET's offer, according to Sala, because he did not want to give up the nukes. Sometime later, in 1954, Eisenhower reached a deal with another race of extraterrestrials known as the Greys, allowing them to capture Earthlings, cattle, and humans for medical experiments, provided that they returned the humans safely home. Since then, Sala says, the Greys have kidnapped millions of humans. Other legends and conspiracy theories have rumored Eisenhower had three secret meetings with aliens from another planet on three separate occasions at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico. It's claimed there were many witnesses, though there's no proof from any witness that the meetings ever happened. This legend persists, and even though Eisenhower was in the desert location on the dates specified, and did in fact disappear, and his whereabouts, at least from the news media standpoint, were unknown, there is simply no actual proof that he met with aliens, or that, for that matter, he went to a dentist. But then again, nor is there proof he didn't. Fifty-five years ago, future president and then U.S. Congressman Gerald R. Ford changed the conversation about UFOs in a very permanent way. In 1966, a growing number of reported sightings of unidentified flying objects were coming out of Michigan. Naturally, people were concerned. Being the representative of the state's 5th district, 
Ford shared their concern and called upon Congress to conduct a congressional inquiry into the matter. UFOs were getting a lot of media attention, and Ford didn't shy away from the spotlight. He issued a pre-hearing press release making the case for government transparency and calling out prominent astronomer Dr. J. Allen Hynek as flippant. Hynek had recently, and famously, attributed citizens' UFO sightings to swamp gas. Ford proposed either the Science and Astronautics Committee or the Armed Services Committee of the House of Representatives schedule UFO hearings and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to have seen UFOs. Politically speaking, he was all in. Now, it's important to remember that this is 1966. We're talking Cold War, post-Cuban Missile Crisis, hide under your desks in the event of a nuclear attack, America. This stuff was not funny. It was weird and it was very frightening for people. When Ford called for a formal congressional inquiry, he lent a degree of credibility to rumors and suggestions of flying saucers in American skies, but he also calmed public panic. His commitment to transparency on the parts of the Air Force and the government sent a clear message. The government will not hide hard truths. In 1966, Ford was fielding questions from his Michigan constituents about some sightings in the night sky. Are we to assume that everyone who says he has seen UFOs is an unreliable witness? I think we owe it to the people to establish credibility regarding UFOs and to produce the greatest possible enlightenment on this subject, he said. Later, Ford admitted that he'd taken a special interest in the Michigan sightings. While Ford didn't get his congressional inquiry, he did get a major report from the University of Colorado at Boulder and the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which was responsible for investigating UFO sightings. Today, there are plenty of people who believe, or want to at least, but perhaps the original man who wanted to believe, and the most persuasive, might have been Gerald R. Ford. On September 18, 1973, Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter filed a report with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, claiming he'd seen a UFO four years earlier. Before Jimmy Carter became the governor of Georgia and then president, he was a typical small-town guy from rural Georgia with a peanut farm. Jimmy Carter has always stood by his claim that he saw a UFO in Georgia in 1969 although he has been very careful not to say he believed it to be an alien spacecraft. He filed an official report about the incident in 1973 when he was still governor of Georgia. In October 1969, Jimmy Carter was waiting outside of a Lions Club meeting in the small town of Leary, Georgia. It was about 7.30 p.m. when he first spotted the UFO, which he called the darndest thing I've ever seen in the sky. Carter, as well as 10 to 12 other people who witnessed the same event, described the object as very bright, with changing colors, and about the size of the moon. In the September 18, 1973 report he filed with the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, or NICAP, Carter said the object seemed to have no mass, but it lingered in the air for about 10 minutes before disappearing. Over that time, it cycled from a bright blue orb to red and white before receding into the distance. Carter reported that 
The object hovered about 30 degrees above the horizon and moved in toward the Earth and away before disappearing into the distance. He later told a reporter that after the experience, he vowed never again to ridicule anyone who claimed to have seen a UFO. It became known as the Jimmy Carter UFO incident, which came out during the 1976 presidential election. During the campaign, Carter promised if elected president, he would encourage the government release every piece of information about UFOs available to the public and to scientists. After winning the presidency, though, Carter backed away from that vow, saying the release of some information might have defense implications and pose a threat to national security. Ronald Reagan is regarded by ufologists as the most open proponent of the existence of UFOs and an extraterrestrial presence as any president in history, Larry McComb writes in his book, The Presidents and UFOs. In 1974, while governor of California, Reagan was flying on a Cessna Citation when he and others on board noticed a bright light that suddenly shot up at a 45-degree angle at a very high rate of speed. Reagan later stated, I looked out the window and saw this white light. It was zigzagging around. I went up to the pilot and said, have you ever seen anything like that? He was shocked and he said, nope. And I said to him, let's follow it. We followed it for several minutes. It was a bright white light. We followed it to Bakersfield and all of a sudden, to our utter amazement, it went straight up into the heavens. When I got off the plane, I told Nancy all about it. Years later, the pilot on the flight, Bill Paintner, was asked if he thought Reagan believed in UFOs, and he replied, how could he not believe after what we saw that night? Holcomb also cites a story told by actress Shirley MacLaine, who supposedly heard it from Lucille Ball. As related by Ball, en route to a party in L.A., Reagan and his wife Nancy encountered a UFO on the ground blocking their car. Both celebrities Lucille Ball and Steve Allen said that when the Reagans appeared at the party late, they appeared shaken, and Reagan said they had seen a UFO. Holcomb writes that President Reagan had such a strong interest in UFOs that his aides worked hard to keep a lid on the president's interest, concerned over how the press and public would react. And there have been other former presidents who have commented on UFOs. Former President Clinton took a sincere interest in UFOs during his presidency from 1993 to 2001. Clinton genuinely wanted to know what the U.S. government knew about UFOs, according to the memoirs of his associate Attorney General Webster Hubble. During a visit to Belfast, Northern Ireland in 1996, Clinton publicly answered a letter from a child named Ryan about Roswell. No, as far as I know, an alien spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, he said. But, he added, and Ryan, if the United States Air Force did recover alien bodies, they didn't tell me about it, and I want to know. Clinton told talk show host Jimmy Kimmel in 2014 that he had aides search Area 51 to make sure there was no alien down there. He also said he would have told the public if he found anything. If we were visited someday, I wouldn't be surprised, Clinton said. I just hope it's not like Independence Day. In April 2020, referring to the alleged UFO incident at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, then-President Donald Trump said, I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. 
and speaking on the Late Late Show with James Corden talk show in May 2021, former President Barack Obama said, What is true, and I'm actually being serious here, is that there is footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain how they move, their trajectory, he said. They did not have an easily explainable pattern, and so I think that people still take it seriously, trying to investigate and figure out what that is. And what about President Richard Nixon? On July 23, 1969, as we were crossing the finish line of the space race, President Richard Nixon announced that Earthmen will find life in other worlds by the year 2000. Nixon must have felt inspired when telling 2,000 foreign students from 60 countries gathered on the South Lawn of the White House that there was no greater time than now for them to be born, and that in their lifetime they would travel to new worlds and discover new life forms. Other than that uplifting pronouncement, it appears Nixon had little to no interest in UFOs. There just isn't much in the way of public statements. Perhaps highlighting that apathy, it was during his administration that the U.S. Air Force UFO program Project Blue Book was shut down permanently on December 17, 1969. Now, we could speculate Nixon had little or nothing to do with that decision, or you could also speculate that he did and there was a reason for stopping UFO investigations. Perhaps something as mundane as funding issues, or if conspiracies are your cup of tea, perhaps something as sinister as an alien partnership to silence the reporting and investigation of UFOs. Now, the other individual in our story, Jackie Gleason, was one of the biggest stars from the 1950s to the early 1970s with two huge TV shows, the sitcom The Honeymooners and his variety show The Jackie Gleason Show. He then went on to further fame, starring in the Smokey and the Bandit films as Sheriff Buford T. Justice, and then had continued success as a co-star in numerous comedy films until his death in 1987. Unlike Nixon, Gleason was anything but apathetic on the subject of UFOs and aliens specifically and the paranormal in general. Gleason was greatly interested in the paranormal, reading many books on the topic, as well as books on parapsychology and UFOs. During the 1950s, he was a semi-regular guest on a paranormal-themed overnight New York radio talk show hosted by John Neville. Gleason offered $100,000 to anyone with physical proof of aliens visiting Earth. He later upped the amount to $1 million, but it was never claimed. The actor was so fascinated by UFOs and aliens, he even commissioned spaceship-shaped houses in Peekskill, New York. He called the main house the mothership, and the guest house was called the scout ship. Gleason's 50-foot-wide mothership house was custom-made by a shipbuilder in an airplane hangar and moved to Gleason's property. The structure has no right angles. Jackie Gleason collected thousands of books on the paranormal over his lifetime, and his vast collection was donated to the University of Miami upon his death in 1987. The Jackie Gleason collection consists of approximately 1,700 volumes of books, journals, proceedings, pamphlets, and publications in the field of parapsychology and a lesser quantity of titles relating to the entertainment industry. The Gleason Collection includes both scholarly and popular works published in the United States and abroad. The collection contains materials on such topics as witchcraft, folklore, ESP, UFOs, 
reincarnation, mysticism, spiritualism, mental telepathy, the occult, ghosts, voodoo, and much more. But all of the reading, collecting, and discussions on late-night talk shows would pale in comparison to one alleged night in Florida in 1973. While Nixon was indeed in Key Biscayne on February the 19th, 1973, for a meeting with the AFL-CIO, it is hard to verify when he exactly left the Miami area. According to Nixon's daily diary, which is available on the Nixon Library website, Nixon was in Key Biscayne on February 19, 1973, but the main item on his agenda was just the meeting with the AFL-CIO. He did attend Gleason's annual golf tournament at the Inverary Golf and Country Club, but spent only about 40 minutes there. According to Gleason's former wife, Beverly McKendrick, Gleason and Nixon had played a round of golf, and the day after, the two spent some time chatting about Gleason's interest in UFOs. The two men had developed a friendship. Gleason had been a staunch supporter of the Nixon campaign. Larry Holcomb, author of The Presidents and UFOs, A Secret History from FDR to Obama, who's been studying UFOs for over 50 years, says it was Gleason's known interest in UFOs that allegedly led President Richard Nixon to share some information with Gleason, including some UFO data and possibly a whole lot more. According to this UFO legend, President Nixon left his Secret Service contingent home one night while he paid a midnight call at Gleason's place in Key Biscayne, Florida. The much-debated legend has it that Nixon and Gleason drove to a heavily guarded building on Homestead Air Force Base where the leader of the free world gave the celebrity a private tour. Gleason's marriage to second wife, Beverly McKittrick, lasted only four years, and in September 1974, Gleason filed for divorce from McKittrick. She contested the divorce, asking for a reconciliation, but the divorce was granted on November 19, 1975. Nearly eight years later, former wife McKittrick gave an interview to the infamously unreliable American tabloid newspaper, National Enquirer. She claimed that on February the 19, 1973, Nixon took Gleason to Homestead Air Force Base after the two had played golf together earlier that day to show Gleason what he was told were remains of extraterrestrials. McKittrick was not present for the event, but claimed Gleason had recounted the details of the event to her. Beverly McKittrick told the following story to the National Enquirer in 1983. She says that sometime around midnight, Nixon suddenly showed up at Gleason's front door in Key Biscayne. She claims that he appeared alone without his Secret Service agents, a detail that certainly makes the story a little less credible. But as the story goes, Nixon and Gleason drove through the night to Homestead Air Force Base 35 miles southwest of Miami. After entering the base, Nixon drove to a heavily guarded building at the far end of the compound where the two men were allowed into the facility. According to McKittrick, Gleason told her, there were a number of labs we passed through first before we entered a section where Nixon pointed out what he said was the wreckage from a flying saucer, enclosed in several large cases. Next, we went into an inner chamber and there were six or eight of what looked like glass-topped Coke freezers. 
Inside them were the mangled remains of what I took to be children. McKittrick described the incident to the inquirer as follows. I'll never forget the night in 1973 my famous husband came home, slumped, white-faced in an armchair, and spilled out the incredible story to me. He was late. It was around 11.30 p.m., and I'd been worried. As soon as I heard his key turn in the lock of our golf course home in Inverary, Florida, I jumped to my feet and asked, where have you been? His reply stunned me. I've been at Homestead Air Force Base, and I've seen the bodies of some aliens from outer space. It's top secret, only a few people know, but the president arranged for me to be escorted in there and see them. Gleason went on to tell her, and there were the aliens lying on four separate tables. They were tiny, only about two feet tall, with small bald heads and disproportionately large ears. They must have been dead for some time because they'd been embalmed. McKittrick went on. According to Gleason, Nixon told him these were actually the remains of deceased aliens. She said seeing this shook Gleason to the core, and he had difficulty sleeping for several weeks. After telling his wife about what he had seen, he swore her to secrecy. They were already in the process of separating, and Beverly was also in the process of writing a book about her relationship with Gleason. The article for the National Enquirer was passed off as a publicity story for her then upcoming autobiography. The Enquirer article was said to be an excerpt of Beverly's bombshell book, but the book was never written. Writer Mike Rothschild sums up the incident best in his Skeptoid blog when he writes, From what I can tell, there were four possibilities for the origin of this strange story. One, Jackie Gleason made it up in 1973 to explain where he was one night after coming home late. Two, Beverly Gleason made it up in 1983 to tease her tell-all book and try to cash in on sales. Three, the National Enquirer made it up in 1983 and published it under Beverly's name to sell newspapers. Four, Richard Nixon took Jackie Gleason to see dead alien bodies at a Florida Air Force base. Rothschild further notes, I have no idea which one of those is true, but I'm pretty sure I know which one isn't. When the Enquirer story came out, Gleason kept quiet about the allegation until 1986. At that time, he met with Larry Warren, a UFO researcher, author, and eyewitness to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. The two men met at Gleason's New York home. According to Warren, after a few drinks, Gleason related the whole story to him. We drove to the very far end of the base in a segregated area, finally stopping near a well-guarded building, Gleason told Warren, according to the book UFOs Among the Stars by Timothy Green Beckley. The security police saw us coming and just sort of moved back as we passed them and entered the structure. There were a number of labs we passed through first before we entered a section where Nixon pointed out what he said was the wreckage from a flying saucer enclosed in several large cases. Next, we went into an inner chamber and there were six or eight of what looked like glass-topped coke freezers. Inside them were the mangled remains of what I took to be children. Then upon closer examination, I saw that some of the other figures looked quite old. Most of them were terribly mangled as if they had been in an accident. Gleason's story was remarkably similar to the one told by his former wife three years earlier. The details seemed to match up. So 
that's the story of how Richard Nixon showed Jackie Gleason dead aliens at a government location just outside of Miami some 48 years ago. Is it true? Well, to answer that, we have to look at what we know and what we don't know. According to the fact-checking website Snopes, an entry in Richard Nixon's daily diary confirms he was with Jackie Gleason at a celebrity golf tournament in Lauder Hill, Florida, on February the 19th, 1973. Snopes goes on to say, The president's tight schedule left zero room for a side trip to gawk at alien corpses. However, at 12.10 p.m., he was delivered by helicopter to the Inverary Golf and Country Club, where he was greeted by Jackie Gleason. After motoring to the 18th green in a golf cart, Gleason introduced the president to the assembled guests, to whom he spoke for about 10 minutes. By 12.30, Nixon was back at the helipad and on his way to his Key Biscayne compound. We found no other records of Nixon and Gleason meeting in 1973. Where did this story originate, you ask? Why, from his second wife, Beverly Gleason, and also the National Enquirer. In 1983, eight years after the two divorced and two years before he died, she wrote an article that outlined the alleged encounter. It's never been made clear whether Beverly herself actually wrote this story or if the National Enquirer just put her name in the story's byline. After all, the publication is not quite known for its journalistic integrity. As far as our research could tell, though, neither Beverly or Jackie ever confirmed nor denied this story. However, Nixon's official diary confirms that he certainly did meet Gleason in Florida in 1973. Snopes classified the Nixon time capsule story as unproven, stating insufficient evidence exists to establish the given claim as true but the claim cannot be definitively proved false. So, if it cannot be proven that Nixon had a few aliens stored in Florida, it surely cannot be proven whether or not the former president showed those same aliens to the Hollywood star. Yet, according to Nixon administrative staff member Frank Gannon, Nixon did not seem to believe in aliens at all. Gannon spent many hours interviewing Nixon and and editing his memoirs during the late 1970s and early 80s. The ex-president showed no interest in UFOs or extraterrestrial life at all. At one point during our labors in San Clemente, I asked if he believed in UFOs and if there was anything to the whole Roswell Area 51 business. He raised his eyebrows and rolled his eyes, and I moved right on to the next subject, said Gannon. Maybe it was deception on the part of Nixon. I mean, maybe it's information that's still protected, still relevant today. Maybe there really were alien bodies he showed to his golf buddy. And maybe not. There was a telling inconsistency in Beverly's story earlier. Did you catch it? At one point, she stated Nixon picked up Gleason at home at about 12 a.m., when she was surely home. Yet she also recounts, anxiously waiting for her husband to come home and being worried because he was late. And when did he return? She states at about 11.30 p.m. That's about 30 minutes before she later says Nixon picked him up. 
the times just don't really match up, do they? So if we estimate driving there to the Air Force Base and back and time on the base itself, we'd be looking at probably somewhere between three or four hours. That means either Gleason was picked up around 7.30 p.m. and returned at 11.30 p.m. or if he was picked up at midnight, he would not be returning until about 4 a.m. Maybe Beverly just got confused. Or maybe not. Maybe it was just all a big con to sell papers and a book. Maybe it was her ploy to gain some desired publicity. Of course, Jackie Gleason never denied this story. Why? Well, maybe he never denied the story because it was true and there was nothing more to say about it. Maybe he never confirmed it because it betrayed a trust he swore he would keep secret by not talking about it. Or maybe he continued getting a kick out of people telling a tall tale he had made up. Maybe he let it go on because he wished it was true. Or maybe he thought having a story out there like this one would keep motivating people to search for the truth about aliens. Whatever that truth is. So, what do we know for sure? We know for a fact that Nixon and Gleason were together during the same time and same location as that of the alleged story. That is verifiable. We also know that the two stories told by McKentrick and Gleason three years apart were remarkably similar. However, that doesn't necessarily make them true. And finally, we know Gleason was notoriously tight-lipped about the whole thing, neither laughing it off as a gag or prank nor confirming it as a true story. So in the end, what we don't know, and maybe can never know, is whether or not the tale is true. In the final analysis, you decide. And now it's time for the episode quiz. So visitors to our Facebook page will know, of course, that we provide every Tuesday a quiz. And once again, if you haven't been out to the Facebook page, we have a lot of great content. Every Monday we do Monster Monday, where we highlight a monster. Tuesdays, as I mentioned, are quiz days. Wednesdays, we highlight a paranormal book or film. And Thursdays, we try to give you some recent paranormal news. And of course, Fridays, we bring you the latest episode. So this week's question, the entities known as black-eyed kids always want what? A, food. B, blood. Yeah, that's kind of chilling. C, to be let inside. D, to be left alone. So once again, the entities known as black-eyed kids always want what? Food, blood, to be let inside, or to be left alone? And the answer is... C, to be let inside. And if you listened to the podcast we did on black-eyed kids a few weeks back, you probably got that one pretty easily. In the podcast, we went into great description about the black-eyed kids. These are really terrifying entities. We don't know what they are, 
where they come from, and worst of all, what they really want. Yes, we know they want to come in, but for what purpose? What would happen if you let them into your home or your car? Those who have encountered them only know of an all-pervasive dread, a fear so primal that the feeling is close to all-out panic. They have an uncanny way of showing up when you're alone or isolated, at your door knocking, tapping on the window of your car, and always asking to be let in. Brian Bethel, journalist for the Abilene Reporter News, provided the earliest reported sighting at the time in 1996 in Abilene, Texas. In Bethel's report, he described a late evening out in his vehicle. He had stopped in a parking lot near a movie theater to write a check. He was so absorbed in what he was doing that he didn't notice the two young boys approaching his car. He didn't notice until the older boy tapped the driver's side window. Bethel rolled down his window and noted immediately a soul-wracking fear, as he put it, though he couldn't understand why. They wanted to see a movie, Mortal Kombat, but they had left their money at their mother's house. Could he give them a ride? All the while, the oldest boy uttered assurances. It wouldn't take long. They were just two little kids. They didn't have a gun or anything. Bethel noticed his hand had strayed toward the lock on his door, and he pulled it away. In the short time he had broken the gaze of the older boy, something had changed in a terrifying way. Both boys stared at him with cold, black, soulless orbs, like two great swaths of starless night, as he put it. There does seem to be one very disturbing factor associated with black-eyed kid encounters, one you would do well to remember and be cautious about. Many of those reporting encounters have mentioned it. It seems the more you think about them showing up at your door, the more likely it is that they will. So if you hear knocking late at night at your front door, do your best to ignore it. And whatever you do, don't answer it. So let me ask you a question. Do you like a good ghost story? If so, then you'll want to join us next week for the eerie Chicago ghost story of Resurrection Mary. We'll have some chilling encounters to share about this restless spirit. In the meantime, if you're cruising Chicago's southwest side at night and you see a lonely woman hitchhiking near Resurrection Cemetery, best not to stop. Join us next time for Resurrection Mary, a Chicago haunting. Well, that'll do it for this episode. A theme song is Knockers by Cinco, courtesy of Upbeat Music. Hey, before you leave, if you could, please do me just two favors. First of all, if you did enjoy the show, please leave a like on your favorite listening application. And secondly, if you liked what you heard, please spread the word. Love to have some new listeners out there to join you. I'm your host, Richard Wright. Keep your eyes open for the unusual folks, and thanks for stopping by.